Hey, good morning. We're going to read out of Psalm 51. If you guys pull out your Bibles and or your apps and read along with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The Word of God. Morning, morning, Transit Church. It's not like going old school, right? Like breaking out our Bibles and reading the text from the page of paper. I enjoyed it, actually. Maybe we'll do it again next week. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Thank you for this day. And amidst life as it happens, uh, we're glad to be here um, as the church assembled, gathered here uh, as your sanctuary, a place where that your spirit dwells, like in us. We're grateful for that, that you would choose us to be the place where you dwell. And so, God, even as you dwell in us, uh, would you do as the psalmist um, so rightly pleased with you. Would you allow us to join in on your praise? Would you, uh, would you create in us a clean heart? Would you welcome us into your presence, even as we live in you, and then restore our joy? That's our prayer. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen and amen. So if you're joining us for the first time, or if you've been away and you come back, we are uh, in a short series beginning our year looking at the spiritual discipline of prayer, and we're doing that by looking at a few petitions in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a well-known psalm. It's a psalm where David is confessing a sin that he committed. The record of that, the backstory of that, is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. That the totality of that story is in that chapter, so you can go and and read what David actually did. And in Psalm 51, he's confessing his sin. He is. Uh, telling God how guilty he is. And uh, what Psalm 51 does for us, firstly, is it, it helps us learn what to do when we have guilt. 
And the remedy there is repentance. The Bible uh, prescribes repentance for us, turning from our sin and turning instead to God in faith. Repentance is a gift. Sometimes we can sin and sin and sin and not know that we're doing it or feel no remorse at all. And so when you do, do feel uh, guilty from the things that you do that you overtly know are not the things you're supposed to do, that's God's kindness to you, Paul would say. And in his kindness, he's alerting you um, by the way you feel that you need to turn from that sin and turn towards him. So that's one of the things that we can glean from Psalm 51. We are using Psalm 51 to inform us in regards to how we pray. And, uh, and we have been, uh, for the last three weeks, looking at not the whole psalm, but four petitions within that psalm. Uh, week one, we started with uh, the first petition, which is in verse 15. You like to look at your Bibles. And that petition recognizes the objective reality, the truth of, of who God is. David prays, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. So that in the, in the truth of God, we learn from Scripture that God is outside of us. And because he's creator and we are created, uh, there is an eternal praise that's, that's already being rendered by the heavenly beings and even by creation itself that's always um, attributing praise to God. God doesn't need our praise, but... The fact of the matter is God invites us into a posture where we can praise him because we are created to do that. We should join in in that praise. In verse 10, David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And when he prays that, he's acknowledging really two things. He's acknowledging, firstly, God cares about my heart. And secondly, he's saying, all right, so... I know because of my own actions, my heart's a little messed up. And contrary to what the culture would tell you, what, what the popular songs that we sing would tell you about you and your insights, the Bible cautions us, don't trust your heart. In fact, don't trust it so much outside of the, uh, the, the influence of Scripture, you really do need a new heart. And so that's what he's praying that God would give him there, a new heart. In the third petition, uh, we looked at last week, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And David, here's the, here's the thing about David. David did not know the Holy Spirit like you and I know the Holy Spirit. I think David was probably one of the most uh, illumined uh, people that we see in the Old Testament. He definitely had a sure relationship with God. But like all the other characters in the Old Testament, David received the Holy Spirit as an ex external actor on him to do the things that he needed to do. You and I, as New Covenant Christians, have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so even as we identify with what David says, cast not away, uh, uh, take, not your holy, uh, take not your spirit from me, or cast not away from your presence, there are times in our lives where we feel like God is not near. Now, theologically, God hasn't moved from us. Like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Whenever you feel distant from God, usually it's like you've backed up a little bit, right? And so in that case, we come like the, 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 the writer of Hebrews. We come in faith knowing that God uh, rewards those who diligently seek him. And so though we, though we might not feel close to God, instead we press in. Today we're looking at the fourth petition, and in this fourth petition from verse 12, David prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me 
with a willing spirit. And, and here's what David is asking. He's, he's asking God to give him joy again. Much like what we read last week in verse 11, David is asking God for an experience. He's asking for the experience of an emotion, and it's the emotion, the experience of joy. Um, truth is, uh, there's some of you that get uncomfortable when I say that. Like, there's some of you because y'all are so, like, y'all work for the military and the government, and the, the government has no joy associated with it, right? It's like, like it's sucking my joy out. <laughs> or at least you can feel like that. So some of you are uncomfortable when I, when I even suggest that, all right, Jeff, I, I can't have joy because I'm going to work tomorrow, no like, like D.C. But some of you get uncomfortable when I talk about experience, and, and rightly so. You know, there's a fear that if we're not careful, we might end up making our experience of God become the truth about God. Like God is, you know, the, the things about God, that's objective truth, and those things don't change. And we might confuse the objective truth, the, 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 the truth about God, with the subjective of how I've experienced God. And that experience might override who, like, who God really is. And we don't want to do that. So there is some truth to that caution. And we live in a pluralistic society where people think truth is relative, right? What I think about truth is however I perceive it. And when, you, and when truth is how you, however you perceive it, then what we believe, religion, and what other people believe becomes only experience. And when religion is only experience, how is what I believe any better or right than what you believe? And that's the country that we live in, right? That's the world that we live in. We're considered intolerant if we tell someone that we believe something and, they, and we're encouraging them to believe it as well. That's pushing our faith on someone else. And that's why, Christian, your Bible is important to you because your Bible is always influencing you to truth. Not the world's truth, not even your truth, to God's truth. The Bible also doesn't minimize experience. In fact, in the Bible, experience matters because the Bible tells us in many words that we can experience God. In this case, David is asking for the experience of the joy of God's salvation. He prays, restore to me the joy of your... Isn't it hard to say those words now without putting it in the syncopation of that song we just sang? I, I'm trying not to do that, but it's just coming out of me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And when we pray these prayers, these, these words, similarly to, to, to David, we're praying for at least three things. Write these down. Joy in God, joy restored, joy sustained. Joy in God, joy restored, joy sustained. We'll first look at joy in God. But first, it's rightly for us to ask, what, what is joy? There's lots of ways that you have thought about joy. There's lots of ways that life sort of makes us define it. We have to be careful not to overdo the meaning. When David uses the word joy here, he, he basically means what you would imagine that he means. He's talking about happiness, gladness, rejoicing, cheerfulness, pleasure, Joy is the emotion, uh, the emotion that, we, uh, that we not only experience, but that others can see it in us. It's the image of someone smiling. It's imagining someone is pleasant to you and the reaction that you have when you think about that person. And that's what David is praying for. He has had an experience that has sucked the joy away from him, albeit he's the one that caused that thing to happen, Right? And he's asking God to, all right, Lord, like I used to have the experience, the, 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 the demonstrative 
persona of joy about my life, and could you give me that back? He's playing for, 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 for real joy. And we see that in other places in this psalm. I look down at your Bibles in verse 8. David uses the, the same word here for joy in verse 8 as he does in verse 12. In verse 8, he prays, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. And what he's doing is conveying a metaphor. But he's still talking about the tangible experience of joy, uh, 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 an experience that has an effect in its body that overcomes God, this, God's displeasure with his sin. David's like, all right, Lord, I've committed a, a heinous act, lie, deceit, murder, and I need you to somehow cover that up by what you do in my body. Restore my joy. Let me hear joy and gladness. And so he's not talking about joy on paper, theological joy. David wants a tangible joy, joy lived out. He's talking about a kind of joy that you can identify. See it on my face, see it in, the, in how I'm acting and moving my body. Like I'm five years old and it's Christmas morning kind of joy. Get the picture? Like um, my team just won the World Series. The Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl next week. That, that kind of joy. <laughs> Amen. Um, it's parents. My third child just got out of diapers and I'm about to dance a jig, right? It's we're going on a date without our kids and it's going to be a good night kind of joy, right? That's the kind of joy David is talking about. He's praying for real palpable joy that he can experience, but it's not just joy. Because there's another layer, another layer of death that he's adding to this idea of joy. It's a joy that's in relation to God's salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Salvation can mean a lot of different things in Scripture. And, and David, if you know his story, is no stranger to being saved. In our community Bible reading, all right, the CBR Journal, we have for the last month been working through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we've pretty much learned mid, uh, all the way mid through the, the, the life of David. And so we've learned in, those, in that narrative, uh, uh, David, has a, he's no stranger to salvation. God has saved him from animal attacks. God has rescued him from physical enemies as he became a warrior. God guarded him against the, the, the hand of King Saul. But here, David is not just asking God to, to, to save him um, from something that's physical. He's asking for spiritual salvation. And the thing to note is David asked, restore the joy of, of your salvation. He's asking for a, salva a salvation that only God can give him. Right, And it's not material or physical. It's from the inside. The joy that David seeks is more than an emotional expression. It's a contented resting in God. And that's the right way to say that because from where David sits right now as he's writing the psalm, as he's singing it, as he's thinking it, he doesn't have rest. The, the, the sin in him is eating at him and he doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He cries out to God. And he asked for security of being reconciled with the Lord and of having peace with God. And we see this throughout the psalm. Psalm 13, verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 35, verse 9. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Psalm 69, verse 13. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, 
Answer me in your salvation. And Psalm 85, 7, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Perhaps you heard it. There's a, there's a commonality to, to almost all of these psalms, except for perhaps the second one that I, that I, that I mentioned. The psalm is, is he's telling us that God's salvation, a salvation that only God can give us, is basically a synonym for God's love, his steadfast love, which is a covenantal love. It's God, I'm, I'm going to do this whether you reciprocate or not. If you are a parent with a child and you've read this, this, this kind of love in, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it says, a never-ending, never-giving-up, unstopping, always and forever love. I mean, who doesn't want to love like that? It's not tit for tat. You do this, I'll do that. It's like, even if you do that, I'm going to love you. That's a hard kind of love. And most of us fall short of loving like that. God does it day in, day out, sun up, sun down. He never tires. And the object of his love is you. And so David is asking for not a one-time rescue from some harrowing event. He wants an impartation of the character of God by which God shows mercy and he gives grace. God's salvation manifests as a love that will never change and a joy and the joy is a result of that work of God in his people. So when God does that to you, for you, when you are a recipient of God's steadfast love, that's the work that produces joy. That's what David is asking for. Uh, John Owen, Puritan from the 17th century, explained it like this. On whom God fixes his love, it is immutable. It does not grow to eternity. It is not diminished at all. It is an eternal love that had no beginning, that shall have no ending, that cannot be heightened by any act of ours, and that cannot be lessened by anything in us. I think John Owen knew something, you know, in, in his day that sometimes we forget. The steadfast love of God, this, this salvation of God that only he can give us, if we understand it, it's all we'll ever need to experience this kind of joy. And so David prays. Lord, I, I want real joy, the experience of joy. And, and he wants it to be produced by God's salvation, his steadfast love. He wants real joy that comes from the love of God. And because he'd experienced it before, but now feels like it's gone because of his sin, that's why he uses the word restore. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's the second thing we need to look at. Uh, to say that you need something restored is to admit that you've experienced the loss of it. Uh, or said differently, something that uh, something has been downgraded or degraded to a point that it no longer has the value or luster that it used to have. And I think that's what David has in mind when he prays, restore to me the joy of, of your salvation. And I think we've all been there. We've all had these moments in our life where it feels like when our affections grow cold or numb or, or dull, not just towards anything, but primarily towards God. It feels like we lose our joy. And perhaps the most frustrating thing about that is we know, at least on paper, again, theologically, there is enough about God's salvation in the person and work of Jesus. There's enough about God's love that he shows us by his death on the cross that we should really never be anything but joyful. I mean, isn't that convicting that you read the Bible? You know what the Bible says about Jesus? You know the extent of God's love for you in the person and work of Jesus and still 
They're like, it's a hard, it's like a chore, God. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to have joy, but I just can't make it work. I think we all experience that. God has provided this us this unshakable grounds to have joy. And we know that if we only saw Jesus for who he is, if we knew his love for what it is, then we would be full of joy, like all the time, no matter what. And yet sometimes we don't feel it and it wanes. And I think we can learn from David two things that he does. And the first thing that David does that he tells us about in our text here is that he admits the loss of joy. He confesses it. Lord, I ain't got no joy. I need you to give me some. It's not easy to admit the loss of anything, right? I mean, who, who likes to say, like, I lost it. I had it. I don't, I don't have it anymore. If you know me, then you know that I have a propensity to lose all kind of stuff. Like pens, wallets, notebooks, keys, pocket knives, shoes, iPhone. So like my, my family, because they're tired of me losing things, they gave me the little square tile, like, yeah, like, okay. And so the choice was like, all right, so like I lose everything. So can I put this on my bag? I, I gotta make a choice. Do I put this on my bag or my wallet or my iPhone or my, or my keys? Like I was coming, we had a funeral here last night and I was pressed to get here and I had misplaced the keys to the car as I was getting ready. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then I'm like, oh, thank God I got the tile app. Pressed it and found my, found my keys. No one likes to admit they've lost anything. Of course, I'm not going to go to my wife because she had just given me this gift. <laughs> like, honey, where's my keys? It's like, where's the tile app? If I'm honest with you, it's not just with material things that I hate to admit lost to, but I mean, it's also with spiritual things. In fact, it's more so with spiritual things. Call it pride, self-righteousness, the blindness of the self-motive that comes with sin. None of us likes to admit that we've lost something. And perhaps the hardest part is actually admitting how we lose it. I think the truth is we lose joy in some of the ways that we also become distant from God. Some of the ways we talked about last week, first and foremost, is when we are in blatant sin. It's when you know the good to do, and you don't do it. The Bible calls that sin. And so in David's story, 2 Samuel 11, he committed a, a sexual act with someone who was not his wife, and he really didn't even feel any guilt or remorse for it until he was pointed out. But at the point where he did, of course, that's when the, the, the series of repentance started. And so some of us, some of you, perhaps don't feel joy because you are choosing to do things that the Bible would prescribe as sin. And as long as you do it, your joy is going to be diminished. For some of you, it's not that. For some of you, it might be uh, instances of intense suffering. Like, life is hard. Like, so hard that you feel like you are underneath the ground and cannot come up, like with rocks on top of you. For others, it might be illness, incessantly going to see a doctor or uh, being subject to medicines that uh, your body is reacting negatively to. Sometimes it's not even your suffering or your illness. It can be the suffering or illness of someone next to you, someone close to you. And oftentimes, we just feel that by proximity. Uh, perhaps it's you taking care of that person that's suffering or that's going through an illness. A lot of times we dismiss it, but it could just be acts, uh, the, the attacks of Satan. 
John 10, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? He comes to kill and destroy you, he, but he's purposing to, 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 to steal your joy. Because if he takes your joy, it makes you not want to do all the other things that we perhaps should do as we're trying to uh, maintain a relationship with God. But here's one subtle thing that I want to bring up uh, for all of us that I think works to take away our, our joy. It's the, the technology that we avail ourselves to. Isn't it appropriate today that I'm talking about this and all of our technology failed us? <laughs> I walked up to Abby after, after we sang, I was like, I said, I actually enjoyed that. I was like, I had to look at my words on my iPhone, and my wife was forcing me to like turn my phone the other way, but I said, maybe we should turn the, turn the screens off next week, next week too. There's something that happens in us when we strip away um, those things that are in our face or on our wrists or in our hands that we manipulate, and it takes away our attention from the most important things. And that's what technology does. I'm not saying technology is bad, but all of you know this. Sometimes there are subtle, unintentional ways that the things that we are using to progress ourselves also works to take away what's most important to us. It trains our attentions to be elsewhere. And before we know it, our, we have shriveled up imaginations. We've replaced the weighty with the ephemeral. We've done whatever we can to get things the fastest. Sometimes even reading the Bible on your iPhone or your, uh, your electronic device is a detriment to you because you're not training your, your mind to slow down and, and let God speak to you. It's, it's got to come fast. The psalmist says, be still and know that he is God. But in the rush of words and images and voices and videos and sights and sounds, sometimes all this technology scorches our taste buds and squeezes our soul so that we have no clue what that even means. I mean, what does it mean for me to be still and know that he is God? Email thing seems more practical. Social media is more entertaining. YouTube makes the time go by real fast, and so we lose track of which comes first, the loss of joy in God that made us run to these distractions or all the distractions that made us lose our joy in God. And I think you all, you're listening to me, right? It's both of those things. They work in concert with each other to suck away our joy. And so we get used to living like we're living or doing what we're doing, that we don't even know what we're missing out on until we slow down and retrain our minds on these words in verse 12. And we shouldn't just read them, we should hear them. Because David is not just praying, he's crying. Restore the joy of my salvation. And so I think what David models here is something that we all need. We need to admit it. Me too, Jesus. I, I've, I've had feelings for you that were far more developed than I'm exhibiting right now. I don't love you like I want to love you. I don't have the joy in you that I should. Will you restore it? Here's the second thing that, that David does that he models so well, and it's fighting for joy. So firstly, admitting our loss, and then fighting for joy. The inconsistency of our human affections has always been an issue. This isn't a new thing. 
Humans have always looked to something, if not technology, something else to amuse us. And when we look to be amused, oftentimes those things distract us from what can be a, a most important thing. Long before the distractions we have today, John Owen in the 17th century understood this. Uh, John Owen didn't write a lot about joy. He wrote uh, a lot about love, and his most famous work is uh, in his book where he talks about the mortification of sin, just like killing your sin. So here's some of the things that John Owen says uh, about love. He explained that God's love for us is like himself. It's unchanging and constant. But us, our love for God is like ourselves, increasing and ever waning. Owen said that God's love is like the sun because it's always the same in its light. But our love is like the moon because sometimes you can see it and it's big. Other times it's small. Here's a quote from his book, Communion with God. Our Father will not always chastise, lest we be cast down. He does not always smile, lest we be full and neglect him. But yet, still his love in itself is the same. When for a little moment he hides his face, yet he gathers with us everlasting kindness. Last week we talked about uh, you don't need gadgets and gadgets and three steps to, uh, to increase your faith in God or to... Uh, um, make God seem more near to you. The, the way the Bible prescribes is that we would submit ourselves to spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, memorizing scripture, uh, the means of grace, of gathering with the assembly of the, the gathered church, of submitting ourselves to the preached word, of receiving the sacraments. I mean, those kind of simple traditional, ritual kinds of things, but they are efficacious. That means there's underneath the the doing, uh, there is something that happens inside of us, in our souls, that draws us to God. So that's what we talked about last week. And and here he's talking about some of the same things, not just to get nearness, but to restore our joy. Here's I like this, this last line that John Owens says. He says, we should pray to taste that kindness. I think that's a way that we fight for joy, that we ask God to smile, to feel his smile, knowing that even when we don't, the very asking for joy is the seed of joy that will bloom again. John Piper, for those of you that read John Piper or or listen to him screaming at you, um, of course, John Piper writes a lot about desire and joy, and also about sin. And in his book, uh, uh, When I Don't Delight in God, I think that's the name of it. When I don't feel, what's the name of the book? When I don't, when I don't desire God. Yeah, he, he quotes this. He says, the fight for joy is the struggle to trust God with the burdens of life. It's a fight for freedom from worry. It's a fight for hope and peace and joy, which are all threatened by unbelief and doubt about God's promises. And so fighting for joy means persevering through periods of illness, of suffering, and perhaps even uh, satanic attacks. It's remembering what the, what, the, what the psalmist says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's, it's telling ourselves, giving ourselves a spiritual mantra. Why be so cast down, O my soul? Why so in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for yet I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. We, we need to admit our loss. We need to fight for joy. Here's the last thing that David talks about, or at least that I'm gleaning from this psalm. It's joy sustained. 
And so the, the, the second half of this verse is kind of curious sounding. Okay, so David says, restore the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Those, that's not intuitive, a willing spirit. It's talking about the, the, the heart there. Uh, a willing spirit would be an attitude uh, of our heart totally giving over, given over to God. It's talking about surrender, but more importantly, it's talking about obedience. If we would, uh, there's a theme in the Bible that connects joy to obedience. And those don't sound like the, they go together, but they do. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if you keep my commandments, this is John 15, verses 10 through 11. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Here's what Jesus knows. If we are obedient to what he says, it's going to result in joy. He's not saying obedience is easy, but he is saying you get the result that you might desire. All right. That's what willing spirit is talking about. I don't want to talk about that. I want to focus on the, the, the first three words. Here's what David says. He says, uphold me. He's talking about being sustained, of God sustaining his joy. Yes, through obedience, but sustaining it. You and I have something built into our being that we can't escape. We were not designed to be self-sustaining. C.J. Mahaney is a pastor and an author. He wrote a very good book called Humility. And C.J. Mahaney says, here's the ultimate sign of humility about humans. It's like we can't sustain ourselves. We can't sustain ourselves physically. Try to go 24 hours without water or food. Like, it's hard, isn't it? But also, you were not created to sustain yourself spiritually. We were created by God to be dependent, dependent on his resources, the resources that he provides us on this earth, but also dependent on the resource of his spirit filling us. Our dependency is not a sign of weakness. Rather, it's an indicator of our humanity, as C.J. Mahaney would recommend. And of course, most of us, I mean, you know this about yourself as well. You don't like being you don't like being dependent, right? You don't want anybody telling you what to do, but you also don't like to, to have anybody um, saying that if, if they don't contribute, that you're not going to make it. And that's really the thing that we have to do with, with God. Ever since Adam and Eve and their fall, men have believed the lie that we can be autonomous, that we can do with our lives whatever we choose. We've also believed that we can be self-sufficient, that everything I need to be who I want to be and do what I want to do I can find within myself, all right? I can put my boots on, I can tie up my bootstraps and walk. Like I can do it all by myself. But I think when David prays these words, his eyes have been opened. Like he's tried to do all that. He's tried the path of being independent and self-sustaining and realized that life outside of God's boundaries just didn't work. They're futile. They're going to fail at some point. And so in this prayer, he's repenting and he's yielding to being sustained by God because he's tried to sustain himself and it didn't work. And the way that God has promised to sustain him, but also us, is by his grace. I'm stealing this from Paul Tripp's devotion. Paul Tripp wrote a book 
um, uh, of, of devotions on Psalm 51. And here's what Paul Tripp says about God sustaining us by his grace. He says, God promises to sustain us in the grace of forgiveness so that we can stand before him unafraid. God has promised the sustaining grace of enablement, giving us the strength to do what he calls us to do. God has promised us the sustaining grace of protection, delivering us from evil. He's promised us the sustaining grace of wisdom, protecting us from our own foolishness. God has promised us the sustaining grace of perseverance, keeping his people until the final enemy has been defeated. And God has promised the sustaining grace of eternity, giving us hope of a day when the struggle will be over. So when David is, is praying, uphold me with a willing spirit, I, I think he knows two things. Firstly, he knows he needs God's help to sustain him, to uphold him. Secondly, I think he also knows it's a willing spirit, a, a willing heart that causes us to see the great grace that's been promised. But, but this is one of those ways that we can't do what God requires without God's help. Like, Lord, I, 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 want, I want to be sustained, but I don't even know how to get there without your help. Lord, Lord, I want joy, but I'm under a rock and a hard place. Did I say that wrong? Yes, right, right? Rock and a hard place, right? And I need you to, to come and save me. David says, Lord, work in my heart so that I will want what you want. That I would want what you want. So Nick and I, were, uh, we were in the office on Tuesday. Our counselor, Nick Perrine, came, and uh, we're just talking, hanging out. We decided to go to a restaurant together, great restaurant, Afghan Bistro down in Lorton. Highly recommend it. Um, and so having a great conversation, catching up, talking about ministry, and uh, as we're finishing up, come back to the office, Nick is asking, well, what are y'all praying for this week? And Nick said one thing, and, and I don't know where this came from, but here's what I said. I said, you know what? I'm just praying that I would want what God wants this year. You know, because I've tried so hard. I, I, know, I know what I want for the church. I know what I want for me. I know what I want for my family. I know what I want for my kids. And sometimes what I want doesn't work, right? And so I, I've decided that, all right, Jeff, uncle, it's taken 54 years. Lord, I want what you want. I think that's what David's praying here. He's in trouble. And he says, Lord, I get it. Can I just want what you want? Would you restore the joy of your salvation? That my joy would flow spontaneously. So when David prays, uphold me with a willing spirit, that's what he knows. Lord, work in my heart so that I want what you want, that my joy will flow spontaneously, that it won't be contrived or forced or fake. It'll be a joy, a joy in God, real joy in God's salvation. It's in his steadfast love. It'll be joy restored because our, our joy is not what it should be, and we sometimes have to fight to get it back. And lastly, and above all, it's joy that's laced with the promise of, of God's grace to sustain us. That's David's model of prayer. So what would I recommend? I don't know. Read Psalm 51. Read all the Psalms. But let these, let these petitions inform your prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're happy. Happy only in God. We're happy despite our circumstance. Despite what's going on, happy doesn't mean that we necessarily have a smile on our face. 
It doesn't mean that all is right, but it does mean all is well. And that's really the posture that we want to maintain, almost like David does. He's asking for things in faith that he doesn't currently, uh, that he isn't currently experiencing. And so even as we model our prayer like David, we pray firstly, Lord, that you would open our lips, that our mouths would declare your praise. Lord, we want to join in on this eternal praise that's going on in the heavenlies and on the earth, where we get to declare who you are and what you've done on our behalf. Lord, would you create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us? We acknowledge that our hearts aren't what they should be. And if we look at the culture and believe what it says, then, then our hearts are good. But Lord, we've looked at our own lives through your eyes, through your, the eyes of your scripture, and you tell us that we should be cautioned about our hearts. And so Paul tells us we need a new one. If there's anyone in here, Lord, that has not experienced the newness of faith in you and the heart that comes with that, Lord, would you grant them that today? Would you open their eyes to see you through the scriptures? Would you give them a new heart? Lord David, pray, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. And Lord, we know as New Covenant Christians that you don't take your Holy Spirit once you give it. But sometimes we can feel like you are not near. And so draw us, God, by the Spirit that's within us and help us to approach you in faith, knowing that you reward those who diligently seek you. And lastly, we pray, Lord, that you would restore our joy. Like, Lord, we want tangible, real, like childlike on Christmas Day joy, a joy in Jesus and what he's done for us in our place for our sin. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. And amen.